The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's sermon, Elder John Morgan Owens takes us to Matthew chapter 27 and paints us a picture of Jesus on the cross. What a spectacle that must have seemed to those who were standing about watching. The cross truly was a horrible sight to see, as the Son of God was mocked and scourged and then lifted up between heaven and earth. If you had been there, it would have been hard to watch and you would have thought, what a spectacle. But the true spectacle that day wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross, but the spectacle that God made of sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. I wanted to post this message in its entirety, and due to its length, we will not have a song today. But join us for this powerful message by Elder John Morgan Owens entitled, The Spectacle of the Cross. If you'll go to Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27, we mention uh, some of these prayer requests, and I think about the, the hope that we have in Christ, that, that even death now is defeated, even though we still feel the sting of it, yes. But, but ultimately, the power behind death has been defeated. And so I want to go to this instance of Jesus, your Savior, on the cross in Matthew 27. And specifically, what I want us to look at is the spectacle of the cross, okay? The spectacle of the shame of the cross. All right, so in Matthew 27, we'll begin reading at verse uh, 15. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? Now, Pilate, who ultimately, uh, you know, he is the authority, okay? So ultimately, the decision 
lays on his shoulders, okay? Uh, he has questioned Jesus after Jesus has gone through this, this spectacle already of the court system of, of going to multiple different jurisdictions and everybody uh, keeps, keeps shuffling them over to some, somebody else. And so then he sort of puts this over into the hands of the people and he says, who would you have me to release? He, I think he's assuming that the, that the people are going to want to release Jesus because it was the priests that delivered Jesus. You know, the sort of the, the top of, of the, the Jews had delivered Jesus for jealousy. Now, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I've suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried unto, uh, out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Okay, so Pilate, he's, really, he, he's being backed into a corner here. Okay, He really wants to, I believe his conscience says, This is uh, a just man who's done nothing wrong. But he feels the pressure. Okay, He feels the pressure of the crowd. I mean, can we relate to that? <laughs> And this, and this time of, of um, where, where everybody is, is virtue signaling out in the world and everybody is trying to fit in with the crowd and you're worried about being canceled. Here, Pilate was worried about being canceled, okay? And so he gives them multiple chances to, to do the right thing, if you will. And then when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Okay. All right. So he does this little, this little public spectacle again, this charade, where he says he washes his hands and he says, his blood be on you, not on me. All right. So, you know, big deal. Thank, thanks a lot, Pilate. Right? That really doesn't help. Okay. That does not absolve him okay because ultimately the decision is in in his court okay so he just uh, takes the the cowardly way out and he just says you do what you want to do this is not on me and they answered all the people and said his blood be on us and on our children oh boy if they only knew what a true statement they just said right, right, right. then released he Barabbas unto them and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Okay, so, you know, I, I like Pilate and I don't like Pilate, okay, right? I, I like him. I, I think he's one of the only actors in this situation that, that sees that Jesus is a just man. Right. However, that almost makes him more at fault, okay, because he, he knows the right thing and then, he, and then he fails to do the right thing. And then... Uh, before you start feeling sorry for him, one of the other gospels mentions that that, you know, that sign above Jesus' head that says, Here, here's Jesus, King of the Jews, Pilate wrote that out. 
and put that up above his head. And then they, the, the Jews came to him and said, oh, it reads like this, but we really need it. We want you to change it and to make it read like this. You know anybody like that in your life? <laughs> I know a lot of people like that. And, and Pilate responds. He says, what it says is what it says. Okay. All right, so then in verse 27, we continue with this spectacle. We've already had the situation where justice, I mean, we, we've got the God of, of justice here who is in, in custody in Jesus Christ and justice is just completely abandoned as, as the person who has the, the authority and has the, has the duty to uphold justice knows what the right thing is and he fails to do it. Okay, so we've got a, as, as would be said in the, in the courtroom, a miscarriage of justice. So then it continues. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. So they take Jesus, your, your Savior, the God of glory, the God of justice, the God of holiness, and they take him away from the crowd into their own little private area and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They take your Savior. They take the God that spoke this world into being. The God that was, was and still is completely righteous. And they take him and they strip him down. Naked. Okay. Um. You know, we, we first notice the, the, the idea, the concept of shame. Where, when does it first happen? It is, it is not before sin, okay? It's after sin entered the world, okay? Before, before we fell in sin, there was no shame, okay? There was no need to feel shame. But after we fell in sin, suddenly Adam and Eve realized something, that they were naked, that, that they needed something to cover up their shame. And so they, they, they go and they find themselves something. Of course, God, being gracious, would provide them a more permanent covering for their shame with the animal skins. Well, here, Jesus Christ, who is righteous, he is stripped down completely naked. Now, that is a, that's a shameful thing. That was sometimes used as a, as a um, punishment, uh, a shame that you would, you would strip down somebody publicly. I mean, it is a shameful thing. This won't do to go down this rabbit hole very, very far, but I don't know if any of you have ever had a dream that suddenly you didn't have any clothes on in front of a crowd. It, it's a shame, it is a shameful, it's a fear that we all have, okay? And so Jesus, your Savior, is shamed. Now, I, I mentioned that, that shame didn't come in until sin came in. Now, there's a sense in which Jesus being sinlessly perfect, had nothing to be ashamed of. However, when he goes through this spectacle, he takes on your shame. He takes on your sin, okay? We read in Hebrews that, that Jesus would submit himself to this as a good servant, despising the shame, okay? So there was shame associated with this for him. He didn't he didn't take it on happily. He, did, he wasn't excited about that, but it was for the joy 
of saving you from your sins that he pushed through this shame. So he's stripped, and then they put a scarlet robe on him. They dress him up like a king. They, they, they manipulate him through this little pageant so that they can make fun of him. And then they put this, this crown of thorns upon his head, and they give him a scepter. And then they, they bow before him, and they're all jesting. And only, only imagine well, you know, what this was like. You get a bunch of... You get a bunch of soldiers together, and they're all feeding off of each other, and they're mocking him. And then in verse 30, and they spit upon him. I can't think of anything more um, of a shame than to have somebody spit on you, right? Now, a lot of people have problems with, with going to the dentist and, and with people's mouths. You know, Sister Meredith doesn't. But I would think about that, how often that you come home from the day and you've got people spit all over you, right? And so I was, you know, me being a germaphobe, I was very adamant that, that Sister Meredith would, would clean off everybody's spit from her when she came home, right? But Jesus has got the, the nasty, uh, un, un, uh, you know they didn't brush their teeth, right? He's got their nasty spit on him as these soldiers are spitting on the God of glory. And they took the reed and smote him on the head. Now they're not just, they're not just taking a reed and just, and just hitting him with it. They're hitting him on the head with a reed while they're spitting on him, while they're bowing before him and mocking him. This spectacle of shame. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. They're just, they've already scourged him. He's bleeding out. And then they, they, they say, hold on one second. Let's, let's pull him over here and let's make fun of him for a little bit. And so they, they make fun of him. I don't know what, what condition he would have been in, but he had just been whipped and he was bleeding with that, with that whip, with all that shrapnel and stuff in it. I mean, uh, he was probably not doing great. And they're, they're sitting there mocking him. And then they take him to the cross. And then in verse 32, as they came out, they found a man of Serene, uh, Simon by name, and they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Now, I've mentioned this before. This was, for one, this is a, a fulfillment of prophecy. <laughs> That was in, in one of the Psalms, I can't remember which one, uh, that was prophesied that they gave me vinegar mixed with gall, okay? <laughs> so they give him that. Now, what this was, obviously vinegar, mm, tasty stuff, right? Vinegar, this bitter, sour thing mixed with gall, which would have been some type of, it would have numbed the pain slightly, okay? So when Jesus tastes it, perceives that there's gall in it, you know, he refuses to drink it, okay? Now, I mentioned before that if, if I were about to be crucified, I would try to drink as much of that stuff as I could possibly fit in before they would put me up there. But your Savior, your Savior, given the opportunity to numb the pain, he refused. As he goes up there to suffer pain for his beloved, for you, 
And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. All right, so imagine, imagine being up there on the cross. You're, you're nailed to the cross. Now that they have, they have stripped you once and, and made a mockery of you, then they put your clothes back on and they get you back on the cross and they strip you again. And then your clothes are sitting there on the, on the floor, on the ground there. And then they're fighting over who's going to get your clothes. And you're not even dead yet. Imagine watching people, watching these nasty soldiers take your clothes and say, oh, man, this would be great. I'd love to add this to my collection, you know. And then they, part, they, they cast lots over it, which is another um, fulfillment of prophecy, to say who got it. Uh, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head uh, this, this thing that Pilate wrote out, his accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, which one of you likes to be misunderstood? Anybody here enjoy being misunderstood? <laughs> You know, you ever said something and then somebody took it the wrong way? Don't you feel a, a, a compulsion within you to, to make sure people uh, understand what you meant? <laughs> I know I do. When somebody misquotes me or something, I have a pull <laughs> to go and to write it, to tell them what I actually meant when I said that thing. Well, here Jesus is. He doesn't answer a word as the accusation above his head is misinterpreted, right? Here they're, here they're thinking, they're bragging because we have now taken the king of the Jews and we've crucified him. Jesus never made a claim that he was going to be the king of the Jews in that way, okay? Now we do know that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but he was not bringing this militant kingdom into the world like they thought he was. He was bringing a kingdom, all right, but it was a kingdom whose king looks like this, a lamb slain upon a tree. <clears throat> then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Now this place, Golgotha, it's, it's right beside the city. It's in a place where it's in public. Okay, People are walking by, just minding their own business, and they get this show. This spectacle. And they see this thing written over this man's head. And they see him there with his, with his crown on, you know. And they see him bleeding out. And they see him stripped naked. And what do they do? They, do they feel sorry for him? No, they pass by and they shake their heads. They wag their heads. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Once again, misunderstanding Jesus. You know, Jesus said that you destroyed this temple, I'll rebuild it again in three days. Talking about the temple of his own body. Amen. And boy, they're about to see that fulfilled here in just a little bit, right? But they misunderstand it. And then they, they mock him further by saying, if you really are the Son of God, then you can save yourself. Now we know that as Jesus en endures all of this mocking and shame we've, we've uh, seen before, that he could call down enough angels to wipe off the face of the world. 
You know, he is submitting to this. And not just, uh, and they say come down from the cross. It's just a reminder, okay? He's not being he's not being killed through stoning, being tied down to the ground and stoned. He is he is lifted up between heaven and earth, lifted up as a spectacle for people to look at. <laughs> right? Just like that brazen serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, people would look at. Jesus Christ is hanging there in shame. Uh, verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Oh boy. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. No you won't. <laughs> he has resurrected people from the dead. He's healed lepers. <laughs> he, is, he has made the blind see and the deaf to hear. He, he has done miraculous things and you still don't believe him. If he would have come down from that cross, miraculously, they still wouldn't have believed him. <clears throat> he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. Oh, doesn't that, it hurts me to hear that. That is, as God the Father in heaven is looking on this spectacle, and he loves his dear son, that is, the, that is his darling, as it says in Scripture. Right. <clears throat> and these people are coming through, and they are presuming to know that this man is not the Son of God and that God doesn't care for him or doesn't love him. He said, I'm the Son of God. All right, so you've got, you've got the, the soldiers that are, that are putting on this crucifixion that are mocking him. You've got the, the passers-by that are mocking him. You've got the priests that should be his greatest advocates uh, as the Messiah come in the flesh. They should be his advocates, but yet they are mocking him, saying some of the most hurtful things. You would think that he would at least have the thieves on his side, right? I mean, they're going through the same thing. You would think that they would be, a, you know, have a little bit of, of misery and empathy, you know, that they could share. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Can you feel, as we're, as we're reading through that, can you feel the powers of darkness hurling out those insults? I, I, I feel as if, when you're reading through that, that Satan is there and he is just having a field day as he sends these insults to your Savior. He's got all these people fired up and they are, they are, they are crying out, crucify him and they're mocking him and they're scourging him and they're spitting on him. It's as if the powers of darkness are there and they are putting on a public spectacle of your God. That's what it feels like to me as I read through that. <clears throat> now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Elah, Elah, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, you may have prayed a similar prayer in your life at some point, feeling as if God has forsaken you. But I assure you, child of God, he has never forsaken you, okay? This is the man who was forsaken of God, so that you would never have to be. 
Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, The man calleth for Elijah. See, he says something out. This beautiful statement. I mean, it is, it is heart-wrenching, but yet we see it on this side of the cross. As, as born-again children of God, we see this statement as a beautiful statement of the love of God for you. Amen. That Jesus Christ, that the God of glory, that the righteous God would be forsaken so that I might fit in His place. Right. <laughs> okay? That that rock might be... Might be um, carved out that that cleft of the rock might be there that we might hide in it right and so they say oh the man's calling for Elijah so they continue the mocking they want to see something happen they want to see this spectacle and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink and they didn't you know they didn't give him as I mentioned before they didn't give him some nice cool water as he thirsted there, they gave him vinegar. And straightway, uh, oh, we just read that. Uh, verse 49, the rest said, let be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Now, one of the properties of vinegar uh, <laughs> is that <clears throat> if, you, if you were to smell it or to taste it, sometimes it can sort of uh, reinvigorate you a little bit, okay, because it's just, it's so sour. And so, I think they were using it here uh, to, to sort of wake him back up to see if he could do something again. Well, I mean, what a, what a shame. They're just playing with, with Jesus as he's on the cross. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Okay, uh, let me, let's turn over real quick to the, the book of Luke. I want to get an, an, an one more thing that happens as a part of this. Luke 23 and around verse 36. Uh, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. So one of the ways that they mocked him just period was as he's up there thirsty, they said, hey, we've got, we've got, are you thirsty? You want something good to drink? We've got some vinegar here, you know. Yum. Tasty, cool, refreshing vinegar. Mocking him. You know, have you ever been so thirsty that you feel like you would just, you would just drink anything? You wouldn't drink vinegar, I'm telling you. Uh, you know, I, I love some vinegar and salt chips. Man, I got that from my mama. She loves those things. I love those things too, but, but sometimes you get a batch and the vinegar is just a little too much. You know what I mean? It's just a, it just kind of uh, makes you pucker up a little bit. They're trying to give Jesus vinegar to drink. All right, now let's go to Deuteronomy. I know this seems like an interesting place to go when you're talking about the crucifixion, but there's something I wanted to share. We mentioned that he was crucified. Now this was prophesied, right, that he would be lifted up. Um, just like that serpent in the wilderness, that bronze serpent, brazen serpent in the wilderness, that Jesus would be lifted up. And, of course, according to Jewish customs of, of execution, it would be stoning, which is where you're put on the ground and stoned. So the only way, the only method of execution at that time would have been a Roman execution, which is by crucifixion. So you see, certainly, 
that there is providence involved in what's going on on the cross. Now, I'm not saying that, that God is making all these people do these things. In fact, Jesus, at one of the Gospels, prays to the Lord and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't even know what they're doing right now. But here in Deuteronomy 21, let's look at verse 22. It says, And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. Now we read this also uh, in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 tells us this. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Okay, so not only is he enduring the shame of what they're doing, not only is he enduring your shame of your sin. But he is also enduring the shame of becoming a curse. Okay? Amen. Now, you know, look, I, that, that is awful. That sounds awful to me. Okay? We don't have any laws nowadays where it says if you do this thing, you are accursed. Right? I mean, that is, that's pretty heavy stuff. But Jesus becomes a curse for you. So just, just for the last few minutes that we've got, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that you're one of the disciples and you're watching this happen, okay? Now, um, one, one, of, one of the brave disciples, okay? Not, not one of the ones that, that fled, okay? So um, one of the ones I was thinking about was Mary. Uh, Brother Chris mentioned Mary Magdalene this morning. <clears throat> She was one of the ones left there. It was, it was basically John and, and the women that were left. Okay, Peter, after he, had, after he had denied Christ, I guess he just went away in his own shame. Okay, So then there's, there's uh, John and, and the women left. Mary is over there. And can you imagine this? Uh, imagine that, Jesus, that you walk with Jesus, <laughs> that you have experienced living with Jesus and, 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 and following him around for the last year or so, okay? Watching him heal the sick and, and resurrect people from the dead. Imagine that he's come to you and saved you out of, out of the bondage of, of your demons, right? As Mary had, uh, the Bible said, seven devils. And the Lord cast them out. Can you imagine being delivered from that kind of bondage? I think we can. We've been delivered from, from that bondage and greater by Jesus Christ. And look, just because uh, maybe you're, you haven't been possessed by a devil doesn't mean that you don't have demons in your life, okay? That Jesus has saved you from and will save you from. And then watching that person that you loved watching him be treated this way. And here's the man that you had hopes in, that he was the Messiah. And he is taken before this court and that court and then this court again. And then he is beaten and mocked and spit on and stripped naked in front of all these people. 
And all these people walk by and they don't, they don't have any compassion on him. They see someone who was worthy of death even more than a murderer was. And so they, they mock him. Can you imagine the defeat that you're, that you're seeing? <laughs> this spectacle of shame and, and it just, it's not what you would expect. It's not what you expect from your Savior, from the Messiah. It's not at all what anybody thought was going to happen. You know, I, I don't know what exactly they were expecting. I, I know we see that at least some were expecting him to come in to overthrow the Romans, to set up this uh, worldly, physical uh, kingdom, and it was going to be great. Instead, Jesus came riding on a, on a donkey's colt into town to be crucified like a criminal. All right, now let's go to the last, last passage in Colossians. I want to give you a little, a little better picture of what happened on that cross, okay? We see shame. We see defeat. We see mocking. We see, all, we see this public spectacle of Christ. But I want to tell you what's really happening there. Now, all of those things really happened, okay? But I want to tell you, I want to, I want to follow Scripture with me and peel back the curtain a little bit and, and show you what's really happening there on the cross. In Colossians 2 and verse 13, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That's great news for a sinner like me. Okay. And then he says, Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, that which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The same hand that wrote the law that condemns us is the same hand that was nailed to the cross to forgive you of your infractions of that law. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What's happening on that cross? Is your Savior the one who's being made an open show publicly? No. No. Satan, the powers of darkness are being mocked there publicly by Jesus Christ. Everybody is trying to hurl insults to Jesus, but what's really happening is God is getting the last say. You know, we, we read of, of, of Satan and his fall, and, and, and we get the implication that Satan is jealous, okay? He is jealous of the love that God has for you, okay? He, he thinking that he was the most beautiful of all of God's creation, when God pays attention to you and calls you very good, it made Satan jealous, okay? And as now, as, as Satan knows he can't win, but he rages against you, and he, he hurls all these insults against, against God. And all of these people are, are, are insulting Christ, <laughs> Meanwhile, Jesus is proving his point as he sits there on the cross of how much he really loves you. Okay, Who's being made a public spectacle? Satan is being made a public spectacle there on the cross. See, we don't see that image. We see the image of, of Jesus Christ being up there, not saying a word, and that's what's happening. But you know what's happening is he is parading Satan in front of everybody as he defeats him publicly. Now, 
What I love this, in addition to that, I, I see this in verse 14. As he takes the handwriting on the ordinances that is against us, all, all of the sins that we have committed, all of the laws that, that were written that we violated, and he takes them away and he nails them to the cross. What does he say? And took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Okay? This is not just a Roman cross that he's nailed upon. That is his cross. Okay? We, we know, we know from, from seeing a, a bigger glimpse of the picture that's going on on the cross that Jesus Christ had every power, had all power, that he could not be put up on that cross unless he yielded himself. He submitted himself to it. They tried to take him various times throughout his ministry, and he just passed through them. But this was the time, okay? He climbed up on that cross, okay? He submitted himself to the beatings, to the spittings, to being stripped, to all the shame. He submitted himself to that, okay? So that's why I believe he's, he is uh, saying, asking God to forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing and mocking me. You know, this is the path that he chose. This is his cross. This is not, this is not the Roman cross that they put him on. That's his cross, that he goes up there to defeat your enemy, Satan. <laughs> he goes up there to, to rid us of the power of death, right? As I think about that dear brother and his family, as they agonize over saying goodbye to him in this, in this life, Jesus Christ, on that cross, as he endures all that shame, you know, he sees us, he knows us. It says he saw his seed and he was satisfied. As he sees us, maybe he sees you at the end of your life and, and, and on death's door. He sees the pain that you go through when you've lost a loved one. And he makes an open show publicly of Satan who lies to you about death, lies to you about the pain that still exists when Jesus Christ conquered death. Amen. As he paid for your sins on that cross and he did die. And he came back out of the grave without your sins as a, as a first fruits of what's waiting for us. Okay? Now, I hope the Lord comes back before, we, before any of us have to experience death. But even if the doors of death are the doors that I have to go through to see my Savior, Amen. I will see Him Amen. because of the public show that He made of Satan that day on that cross. I hope that is an encouragement to you. Amen. As we're walking through this life, as Satan is, is roaring against you out of his jealousy for the position that God has put you in, as he rages against you, don't let him steal the joy away from you of the joy that waits you in heaven, of seeing your Savior. Now, it may look like Jesus was the spectacle there, but I, I assure you, Jesus was putting on the show that day. Okay, I hope that's an encouragement to you. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates.
If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.